Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Hagen Lister here at Word of Faith Outreach Center in Joaquin, Texas. If you'd like to join us in person, all of our service times, contact information, and a map to our physical location is on our website. That's www.woftx.com. You can also watch past live streams or watch us live on our Facebook page, WFTX. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Recap in the last two weeks. Um, and so we spoke the first week kind of on the, on the sobering reality that we're facing, uh, not just with a new younger generation. You know, I think in, in every generation has had its, um, uh, you know, its, its casualties, if we will, casualties of war, so to speak, and, and the fact that, um, you know, we, we, we lose some of a generation. But I think today is going a little bit deeper than that. It's not just a new younger generation that the church I think is losing, but an overall, there's an overall need to restore people from all generations uh, that have left the church. And, um, you know, some have even left the faith. How I many you know uh, you can leave the church and, and, you know, still have faith in Jesus? Um, and, um, you know, I, I heard this and I posted it and I'm sure you guys have seen it. But, um, you know, someone said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, just like you don't have to go home to be married. Um, but if you stay gone too long, you're probably not going to stay married, Right. And it's kind of the same thing. And that's not a controlling statement uh, because uh, I want to get into a little bit of that today. That's really a lot of what we're going. But in the, in the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking about the overall need um, that the church has to, to restore people of all generations who have left the church, who have even gone as far as leaving the faith. And in some cases, um, leaving the kingdom of God altogether and flirting with the idea of there being no Christ or there being no God and just becoming uh, atheistic. Um, and there is such a thing, and I had to kind of look it up, but there is such a thing today as the atheist Christian. And so a person who uh, still adapts or adopts a lot of the Christian theology, but they don't believe in Christ and they don't believe in God. And so there's, and that, that just sounds uh, weird to me. But in these last days, we do have um, a lot of deception going on. There's people can make them, or the enemy is making people believe a whole lot of things that, you know, 10, 15, even 20, 30 years ago, we would have never dared to even flirt with believing, right? Um, you know, and I think, uh, we, I think that COVID has become the, the, the catch-all to blame everything on. I don't think COVID is necessarily to blame. I think COVID exposed what was already happening under the surface of the church that we weren't willing to talk about. And when COVID came along, it actually gave people the big excuse um, to begin to explore uh, their, their own thoughts and their own feelings. And their big, it, really, it really was the, the last straw that created all these factions uh, within the church that actually were already there. How many of you know when something, um, when something breaks, a lot of times there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of, of, of cracks below the surface before it actually breaks open. And I think that's what was going on. Um, and I think we've seen it for years. We just, A, we didn't, want to, we didn't want to pay attention to it or we didn't want to believe it was there. Or I think the more, more popular one is we didn't know how to fix it. <laughs> you know, we didn't know what to do about it. So we just began to ignore it and say, well, it's not really there. Uh, but then it all kind of got exposed over the last several years. Um, last week, we covered the unoptional need uh, to make sure we're helping to build a firm foundation uh, on Jesus Christ and the simple gospel, going back to that simple gospel, the one that the disciples preached, the one that the apostles preached. And I know that 
That sounds weird to say, but how many of you would agree that the church overall, maybe not in, it, in, it, in a local congregation in its entirety, but the church overall has, has slipped into areas uh, uh, such as, you know, kind of Christian psychology and, and things of that nature, uh, and they've replaced just, just teaching people the gospel. You know, we've, we've, we've done a lot in the entertainment, and, 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 and here's the thing, I'm, 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 I'm okay with, I like uh, aesthetics and uh, I like the lights and I like the sound and I like all that stuff. But uh, at the same time, it's not everything to me. And I think that's where you get off when, when you begin to use the aesthetic of the church or you begin to use technology of the church and it becomes the everything. And it gets to where it overshadows the gospel while we're really here. If we, if, and, and I remember back when I was a, a youth pastor and um, man, I, I remember the Lord just strongly re- rebuking me about that because sometimes it's easier to work physically than to believe God spiritually for a move of God to happen. And so I remember, of course, that, you know, I was kind of given a blank canvas of a youth room and, and I wanted the teenagers to have a cool place. And, and I still believe in the teenagers having a nice place where they want to be in there. But uh, my own confession is I had begun to think that all of those things, I, I wouldn't have verbalized it, but, in my, but by my actions and what I spent the most time on, I would go ahead and say, I could, I could be honest with you today, and say that there was a day where I was way more concerned about the way the lights looked and about the way the sound sounded and the way things looked and appeared. And I think it has its place, but it had begun to overshadow whether or not I was preaching the gospel to the... Now, I believe that the teenagers that we preached to, that, that we ministered to them and we did our very, very best, but I will say that there were times where we, we got overbalanced to that other direction where, you know, we couldn't have service without this and we couldn't have service without that. How many of you know that, that we could walk out of this building right now, if, if, if we had to walk out of this building right now and go have church in the, in the vacant lot next to us, if we couldn't have church, something's wrong with us. Amen. If we can't, if the only thing, only way we can have church is to, is to be in here and to, and have everything right and everything comfortable, then we don't have a very firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think that's where that there's an un, there's there's non option for us as a church right now to make sure that the people that will allow us to minister to them, that we are instilling in them a firm foundation on Jesus Christ and on His gospel. Amen. Not on all this other stuff, right? It doesn't matter if we, if, if they understand all this other stuff, if, if we don't understand who we are in Christ and we don't understand what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. So that firm foundation, second Timothy four, one through five, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And this is Paul telling Timothy, he says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season, convince them. It's things we don't like, rebuke them. Like nobody wants to be the rebuking pastor. And if you want to be the rebuking pastor, there's probably something wrong with you. It's kind of like if you want to be the parent that gets to whip the kid, there may be something wrong with you. Nobody, no, nobody really wants, now I'm not saying you don't feel like whipping the kid. All right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you can't wait for the next time they mess up to whip them, something's wrong with you. Right. So if there's a pastor that they can't wait for the next time to find something in the Bible to beat somebody over the head with and rebuke them, that's not rebuke anyway. Amen? Rebuking is just simple correction. And the Lord says those that he loves, he corrects. Right? So, but he's telling Timothy, he says, listen, he said, I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm commanding you in the, God, uh, in the name of the God of heaven. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort 
with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will, uh, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And so Paul was talking to another pastor, one of the first pastors, young pastor. But if, if Paul is telling the young pastor what to do, and he's telling them to fulfill the ministry, how many you know, even if you're not a pastor, a quote unquote pastor, you have been called to a ministry, amen? And not just a ministry. Uh, we don't necessarily get to just make those up. We don't get to, to look. It's not like going to college. And I remember when, when I, was, I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. I had a lot of different ideas, you know, I started out. Uh, I think it was because I was, I was born down in Houston and we stayed there up until we moved to Arkansas. Uh, but as a young boy, we would pass by. I don't, I don't really exactly know where we live, but I know that uh, uh, frequently we passed by um, um, NASA. And so I was just completely and totally in love with astronauts and space and all that stuff. And so I was going to be an astronaut. That's what I wanted to be. I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut. And uh, of course, I can't get on a tire swing without throwing up. So that probably wasn't going to work for me anyway. But that was the first idea. Then I kind of went along and I, I really liked the way things were built and different things. And I, I wanted to be an architect. And then I found out that I don't draw things specifically. I draw things abstractly. So that's probably not going to work because all my houses would look probably weird. And, and so I'm, I'm getting closer to time to, to you know, do something with my life, so to speak. And, um, you know, at that time they were really pushing occupational therapist assistance. And I really liked the idea of that because they said, you know, you can graduate in two years and be working. I thought that is, that is the key for me. And, uh, but I remember in those days when I would, they, they would give you this book of all the, the different degrees that you could get at our local college. And so I, I remember thumbing through that book for like an hour or two, just looking through and I'm like, I can't see myself doing that. I can't see myself doing that. I don't want to do that. Nope, I don't. That sounds fun for a week or two, but I don't want to do that the rest of my life. You know, and I'm going through that book. And, and although um, I didn't know anything about believing God for, you know, the direction for my life, but I think a lot of times when people say you have a ministry, God's given you a ministry, it's kind of like that. We go, well, well, give me the book and show me the list of ministries and I'll see the one that I, I think I can fulfill the best. I mean, no, that's not how that works. Amen. You know, you can take me for an example. I'm, I'm called what we call to the full, the full time or five fold ministry or whatever. That's a little different. Not, not that I'm better or, or anything like that, but it is a little different of a calling um, because I, I feel like I've got double duty. Not only do I have to do what I'm doing here, but I also have the, the same ministry you have which is what we've been talking about. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the, the, the ministry that Jesus gave us. The la, one of the last things he told his disciples to go out and win souls and make disciples, right? So I have the same ministry that you have. I just kind of have to pull double duty because I'm also a pastor. And as a pastor's job is, I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry. Amen. So it's kind of like, um, I would say it's, it's like a coach who's also a player. You know, it'd be like if you got to coach a football team, but then you also had a position on the team, you know, other than coaching, right? So that's a little bit like it is, because I think a lot of pastors, sometimes they think, well, my ministry is telling you to do ministry, right? No, 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 it's not that. I have to, I have to equip you for the work of the ministry, because there is a ministry, and we're going to talk about it. And that's what Paul was talking to Timothy. He says, you need to fulfill your ministry. Well, his ministry was equipping 
the rest of the saints for the work of the ministry too. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Watch this. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So in a nutshell, Paul is telling the Corinthians, this is your ministry. Your ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry is to go out and to tell people about Jesus and that he died for you so that he would not impute your sins towards you, so that he would not account your sins towards you. If you receive Christ, you're gonna receive salvation. You're gonna be a part of the kingdom of God. You're gonna be reconciled back to God. That's your ministry. And he was just telling it kind of in a nutshell. And uh, just some of the, the little quotes that we have, we've had the last couple of weeks. For one, it's the church's responsibility. Right here we see we have a ministry of reconciliation. And it's the church's responsibility to restore a lost generation. It's our responsibility to do that. Nobody else is going to do it for us. I mean, the government's not going to do it for us. You know, organizations are not going to do it for us. Now, organizations and all kinds of other things that, that pop up, they are glad to take the people's time now that they're not a part of the kingdom of God, now that they've left the church. They're, they're more than willing to take the time and, 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 to, and to adopt them into what they're doing. But nobody else is going to reconcile a generation if the church doesn't do it. Amen? We have to develop a heart. And we talked about the prodigal son, about the older brother, and we, and we talked about the father. And so we have to develop a heart like the father in the prodigal, store, uh, story, prodigal son story that uh, Jesus taught. And fight against, as a church person, we have to fight against being the elder brother. Okay, because we do get that self-righteous. I mean, and I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me. We do get that self-righteousness that that older brother had being, oh, I've never left. Well, I've always been faithful. And, and they just come in and out of the church willy nilly. I mean, as a pastor, you, you really have to watch yourself because you, you see somebody and you see the potential that they have to be a, 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 a just a dynamic person, in the kingdom of God. But they just float here, there and yonder and they never plant roots. And you, you really have a, a, a tendency to want to judge a person like that rather than un, try to understand why is that person that way? Maybe that person got hurt and now they're, now they're just, they want to be a part of the church, but they're just unwilling to completely plug in because they're afraid that if I completely plug in, then that's when, that's when the, the old trick gets pulled and the, the, the rug gets pulled out from my feet and somebody hits me in the head, right? And, um, and, and so you, we really have to guard against that older brother mentality if we're going to restore a generation. Now, if we're just going to dwindle this thing down to a bunch of people that all think the same and that we all have kind of the same convictions and we're all really good at hiding what's wrong in our life and we just want to look outside of this place and judge everybody that's not in this place, then no, we don't have to make any changes. But I'm not that type of pastor. And I don't think you're that type of person. And I definitely know we're not that type of a church. If we're going to reconcile people back to the kingdom of God, we're going to have to shake off that mentality of the older brother and judgmental things and begin to adopt the, the mentality and the heart of the father that is waiting on the day that he can see the person coming from afar and not just look at them and go, well, if they make it this time, no, go out to meet them, go out to meet them and not just go out to meet them and bring them in sheepishly. The father didn't bring the son in sheepishly. He didn't say, well, listen, let's, let's bring you in through the back gate because, you know, it, things have been rough around here lately since you left. You know, you took half of everything. 
And, and we've been struggling lately. So if the people see you, especially your brother, they're probably not going to be happy with you. So you just come. And, no, no, that's not what he did. He saw him coming from far off. He ran towards him. He grabbed him. And he began to, to exclaim to the whole kingdom, my son, who I thought was dead, is alive and he has come home. Get the party started. Right? What do you think about people who have, who have been hurt or people who have of their own devices went out and, 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 and departed from the church and, and somebody that they have influence with uh, or the, somebody who has influence with them convinced them, come try it one more time. Just come back in one more time. And, and what if that person comes back in and they're, you know, that's what they're doing. They're looking around. They're like, I wonder, you know, if anybody remembers what I did or if anybody's going to whatever. What if that person, instead of walking in and watching people cut their eyes to them or those awkward handshakes or, hey, how's it going? You know, where you're kind of like, how's it going? You know, instead of that, you're, you were running to them. Go, oh, we're so glad that you're here. Man, we've missed you. We didn't know what happened to you. We didn't know where you were. Amen. What do you think that's going to do to that person? They're going to say, man, maybe the thing that happened to me was real, but, but maybe the, the thoughts that I had that people had against me were not real. Amen? Galatians 6.1, the Amplified, says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is... You who are responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So these people are the ones that are qualified. People who are responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If anybody's caught in sin, it says these people are qualified to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness. Keeping a watchful eye on yourself so you're not tempted as well. And what I see there is there are people with compassionate hearts that really do want to see people restored to the kingdom. And then there are people who are not qualified because they're not led by the spirit. They're led by their self-righteousness. And so therefore, they don't, they're not even going to have the ability to reconcile that person. But the people who do have that heart to see people reconciled, there is a warning. So if, if, if I've got people in this, in this place, and I know I do, that already have the heart like the Father that want to see people reconciled, good. But if I have people that don't, and, we, and, 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 and through this teaching, you begin to say, man, I've had a heart like the older brother, but I want to have a heart like the Father. Good. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to get to. But in that, there's a warning that there's a fine line between reconciling somebody back to the kingdom with gentleness and getting roped into their deception. Amen? If somebody had fallen over a cliff and they were hanging on for dear life, the smart thing to do would be to tie yourself off before reaching to grab them. But most people don't tie themselves off to the gospel. They don't, they don't tie themselves off to that firm foundation. They just go, oh, I see somebody hurt, and they dive over the cliff to grab them. And in the process, they ruin both of their lives. So we have, there's a caution here. Paul is giving a caution and saying, this is the way you do it. But in doing that, make sure, be careful you don't get caught up in the same stuff, right? So that's, that's a little bit of a recap. So today's title is called Messy Church. 
messy church. We're going to embark, it may be a couple of weeks here, but we're going to embark on an uncomfortable subject that I think is very necessary to shed light so that we can do our best in this local body. I I don't have control or uh, influence in other churches. But that in this local body, we can cultivate an atmosphere that would be the most conducive to healthy Christian growth. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't happen by accident. There has to be, just like peace in your home won't happen by accident. That's why a happy marriage won't happen by accident. That's why good relationship with your children won't happen by accident. There, it takes a cultivating of atmosphere. You know, we've, we've, we've talked to our children before and, and, and um, you know, we're not perfect by any means. I'm not even going to put ourselves on, on any kind of pedestal, but I'm saying, I'm giving this as an example to, to know that if there is peace in our home, it's not because it just happened automatically because I'm a preacher. It's happened because we have, we have uh, strived to make sure that my attitude, Christy's attitude, Julia's attitude, Jackson's attitude, or any other person in our life or in our family does not control the atmosphere of our home, but that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit does. There's been times where my attitude has tried to control it, and I've had to be rebuked by the Holy Spirit and maybe even my wife. Amen? There's been times where I've had to tell a kid, hey, your attitude's not going to control this house today. You can go somewhere else. You can go off somewhere if you need to. Sometimes we, we all just need to go off and, and, and get ourselves right. But you're not going to control this. I'm not going to, if I need, I need to go, I need to back up a minute because I can tell that I'm disturbing the peace in my heart. It doesn't happen by accident. And in the same way, if we're going to have an atmosphere in this local body that is the most conducive to good, healthy Christian growth, it's not going to happen by accident. So let's, let's move on. I want to try to kind of expose the messy areas of, I would call the modern church, but if you go back to the Bible, it was there too. No matter, this is something I wrote down, no matter who made the mess, it doesn't matter who made the mess. If we want a clean house, we have to first expose the mess and then do the hard work of cleaning it up Repairing the damage, and most importantly, hauling away the trash. How many know people are never the trash? Amen? People bring in trashy attitudes, but people are never the trash. Amen? People are always the jewel. People are always the most precious thing to Jesus, right? But a lot of times people want to say, well, I didn't make that mess, or... They want to say, well, it, well, you know, pastor, clean that mess up. And, and that's fine. I mean, yeah, I'll, you know, somebody's got to do it. But at the same time, you ever heard the statement, many hands make light work? I mean, you know, we could all do our part to make sure that this place has an atmosphere that's conducive to good, healthy Christian growth. I think we have a great church. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to, um, you know, dog us or anything like that. I think we have a great church. I think we have a, a, a good, healthy church. But how many of you know that no matter how healthy our church is, it could always be better? Amen. Amen? And not only could it always be better, how many of you know that just because you cleaned it up 
doesn't mean that, it, that uh, does your house, when you clean it up once, does it stay clean? No, why? Because there's people there. And the same thing for here. You know, we could keep things clean. We could get in here and we could clean things up spiritually, naturally, everything else. And then, you know, if we don't pay attention and we don't purposely make sure that this atmosphere that is in this place, and I'm using that term atmosphere because we can all sense when things are not right in the church. It may take us a while to understand what's going on. We may not ever know what's going on, but, it can, but, but when we walk in, we can all sense when the spirit of the Lord is not at home there. Amen? Is this okay? So no matter who made the mess, if we want a clean house, we have to first expose the mess, do the hard work by cleaning it up, repairing the damage, and hauling away the trash. So first, first point, I've been hurt by the church. Raise your hand if you've been hurt by the church. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be word of faith. It could be the universal church. Somebody in church hurt me. Could have been a televangelist you sent money to could have been the preacher that didn't wave at you because he didn't see you we've all heard those words at least either by somebody or by our own mouth right most of the time what I found out is that it wasn't the entirety of the church that hurt you or that hurt me but maybe an individual that goes to church or at the most, a small group of people that for some reason, known or unknown, have differences they find entertaining to discuss about you or me or our family or our ministry, our church. I'm gonna read a, um, a quote out of this book or a section. It's um, the book that I've been reading to my friend who left the faith. Uh, listen to this. It says, sometimes I hear people talk about how after they left the church, they found a group of people more Christian than Christians. You ever heard that before? Well, I get more love down at the bar than I do at church. You know, I got, I got heathen friends that would take better care of me than some people at the church. So it's, it's a con you're not alone. It's a common statement. I'm not making light of this stuff. It says they found a group of people more Christian than Christians, people who love strongly and care fiercely. And I hurt for those people. I want to apologize to them, just like I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry for your pain. I may not have hurt you, but I'm sure that somewhere along the way, I hurt someone else like you. How many of you would be honest with you and say, you know, I'm pretty sure in my time on earth, I have said or done things that have hurt other people. <laughs> But after getting to know that person, hearing their story, I may eventually bring up two points. First, there seems to be a trend when talking about hypocrisy in the church. To judge Christianity by Christian moral standards, one skeptic put it like this. The worst thing I could say about Christians was that they weren't being Christian enough. But why should they be if Christianity wasn't true at all? So this is a uh, atheist that's, that, that, that quoted the, that he was quoting. So this atheist said, the one thing I had against Christians, they weren't acting Christian enough. But then I had to think to myself, well, why should they? Because I don't believe in Christianity anyway. In other words, 
It's possible for a person to grow up in church, be formed by the teachings of Christ, and then reject Christianity because the church isn't enough like Christ. And second, I'd also bring up the nature of friendship within our modern context. Think about the old adage, friends are family you get to choose. Now, tweak that saying a little bit and say it like this. The church is family I get to choose. Yes, some will nod their head at these words, but the church is the church precisely because we don't get to choose the people inside. When I see people dismissing the church and then talking about how great their new community is, most of their experiences have one aspect in common, choice. Those people choose to build a life around a group of people just like them. They all adhere to some same political party. They all have similar moral beliefs or they all live fairly stable lives. Obviously then, those people will be easier to form relationships with. When most people choose friends, they usually choose people they enjoy being around. They choose people committed to the convictions they themselves are already committed to. When someone leaves the church and says they've met people who are more loving than those inside, I wonder if they're just choosing to be around easier people. The reason church life can be so difficult and disappointing is because we don't choose these people. The church is made up of various individuals from various places. While the church can be a messy, difficult place, it's a place that is unusually messy because it welcomes everyone. Love isn't hanging out with people we like and then not judging others from afar. Love is hanging out with people we may not always like, pushing for growth so that we all become better. For Christianity, that better is the person of Jesus. The non-religious answer to hypocrisy is to leave the church and just be kind. I understand this statement or this sentiment, but just being kind won't save us. It's a thin morality, mainly because when we run across people who, uh, whose upbringing or brain chemistry calls them to be less kind than ourselves, we decry them because instead of looking for change, look at our world, we don't like redemption we like to feel morally superior. The church is filled with hypocrites, but those hypocrites might just indicate that the whole thing is working. I can't think of a better place to be than in the church for a hypocrite. How many of you know I'm a hypocrite? How many of you would be brave enough to say I am one too? I'm not a hypocrite. Sure you are. There's been plenty of times you've told your kids to do things you don't even adhere to. That is in and of itself hypocritical. There's many things that we have felt self-righteously superior to other people because we don't do those things, but yet justify the things that are against the Bible that we do. Amen? Sorry, that's making noise. I'll unzip that. Now, I do want to... I do want to address this because there is a difference in true abuse 
And I just put it like this. There's a difference between a true abuse in the church and just making an excuse. Amen? So I'm not discrediting true abuse in the church and, and leaving a local body because you experience some abuse. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not making light of this. And I will definitely never hide the fact that there are those in the church that have 100% taken advantage of those inside and even outside of the church. I'm not going to hide that fact. It happens. The reason why it happens is because there's all kinds of people here. And my 22 years of being in the full-time ministry, I literally could spend a couple of days telling one story after another about abuses and claims of abuse at the hands of either church members, board members, or ministry people. True abuse is purposely taking advantage of another person and using, I'm saying in the context of the church, purposely taking advantage of other people and using the disguise of religious power, authority, mental or physically abusing and bullying to gain control of a person or persons for selfish gain. And they're out there and they do it. You know, years ago, I kind of, I began to, you know, you feel this um, pressure I know it's from the enemy, but then there's other people who are, are self-righteous in their, in their own right who when they see injustices in the church or people not acting the way we want people who represent our church to act, and I'm not saying this has happened here, um, but, but I have had it happen to me. I've actually literally had people who, they were, they were coming to our church, they weren't in leadership or anything like that. I think it's a little bit different if you're, you know, helping lead worship or you're, um, you know, doing something like that. Yes. I mean, I'm the pastor of the church and, and I think it is my duty to make sure that nobody that we, nobody on staff and, and nobody that, that helps out in any area of our church where none of us are perfect, but there are certain activities and certain lifestyles that are, um, things that we, we cannot have representing, uh, you know, our leadership and our kids and our youth and on stage and different things like that. I think there's a different, um, uh, standard so to speak. But I've had people that were just coming to church before. And someone in the church heard about maybe something that they were doing, a way they were living or whatever. And they've come to me and said, well, what are you going to do about that? I said, nothing. Well, you got to. You got to go over there and tell them that they're, they're in sin and this, that, and that. So they know they're in sin. Well, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Well, you're the pastor. Exactly. I ain't God. If they invite me into that situation, then I will speak the truth into that situation. But it is none of my business what they are doing. Well, they go to your church. They sure do. And they're coming every day and, and they're coming every week and they're hearing the word of God. I have a, a sensitive topic and I've debated whether or not I was going to tell this story or not. Um, not because it's a bad story, it's a good story, but because of the sensitivity of the, of the subject in today's world. And it, it, it could be a kind of a long story, so I'm, I'm not going to tell the whole thing. I, what I will say, and maybe one day I'll tell the whole story, but what I will say is there was somebody that I knew from my past, from when I was junior high, and it was, it was an adult. It was an, it was an older person. 
and they were involved in a lifestyle that was not conducive to the Bible. But at that time, I wasn't serving God, and I just had a worldview on all this stuff. But in that, I had a great relationship with this person, and I had a great relationship with this person's family, um, to the point where I worked for him some in the summers and different things like that. Well, I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I went to the Bible school. I came here. I worked here. I went back to pastor there. And at a baseball game, I ran into that person. And they're the type of person that lives a lifestyle that preachers probably don't automatically want to go sit by in public. And so that's exactly what I did. I went and sat by them in public. And I talked to them like we had never missed a beat. And I wasn't doing that to prove anything or to show anything. I was doing that because that's who I am. I I know that person from years ago. That person is the sweetest person I think I've ever met. And I love that person. And so, but you could tell on their face, like, you sure you want to be sitting next to me in public? That person began to come to my church. And in that, I never once spoke to their specific sin. I just preached on the Bible. I preached on what God, um, you know, approves of, what He doesn't approve of. I preached on the, the, the gifts and callings of God on your life, the, the purpose of God in your life. I talked about uh, toxic relationships versus healthy relationships. And I don't know how, exactly how long it was, but one day they invited me to lunch. So he'd come talk to me. So at that lunch, this person gave this hypothetical situation, which I knew was their real situation. I said, what, what, what should this person do? I knew exactly what was going on. I knew exactly, but the Holy Spirit guided that conversation so skillfully that I never had to do what I think some Christians and pastors think they have to do to reconcile somebody. Most Christians, and this is very vivid, and I'm sorry, I apologize for the illustration, but it's the best one that I, I, that's out there. Most Christians, especially when dealing with certain types of sin with other people, they feel the need to, as if your dog had used the bathroom in the house, to rub their nose in it to make them, to prove a point. I never did any of that. never even made mention of the lifestyle. What the Holy Spirit did have me say was talk to him about how before they were ever formed in their mother's womb, God had a plan for you. That God has created you for certain things. And and I can't even remember the whole conversation because it was not my conversation. It was the Holy Spirit and I just yielded to that. And I, I, didn't know, I didn't know if we, I'd done any good on the conversation. I, I felt like I'd done what the Holy Spirit said. We, we finished lunch. We parted, I prayed and parted ways. Several months later, one of their family members told me about some major changes that this person had made in their life. I mean, major. And we're talking about someone who's been in a lifestyle probably 40, 50 years. And I, I thought, well, great. That's, that's, that's good. But that's about all I heard. When I left the church and came here, they were, they were needing people to fill in on Wednesday nights and different things like that while I was gone. They were having Brother Paul and Dustin Martin come and fill Sundays. 
But when I left, they were looking for people in the church to fill Wednesday nights. And they asked this person if they would give a testimony about God setting them free. And I watched. The most brave thing I've ever seen is someone, knowing they're on live stream, knowing they're in public, stand up before church and declare the way they had been living and declare how God set them free in front of everybody in a small town. So there's a way that God can use you to reconcile people that does not involve you proving how righteous you are and how unrighteous they are. They know. <laughs> if they didn't know, they would not come. They would not want to hear. They know something's not right in their life. I've never felt like I have to take that approach. But there are people that do abuse people in the church. I read a couple of them, um, just a couple of different stories. One of them was a guy who was a youth pastor of a church, big church. He was on staff. He was full-time. He had just signed a lease on his apartment. He had a young family. And the pastor who brought him in um, had gotten to where he traveled so much from ministry that he felt like he was doing the church an injustice. And so he resigned from his position as the pastor. And the day that he resigned, the board called all of the staff members in and told them that because the pastor was leaving, they were making emergency funding uh, changes. They were making emergency budget changes and informed this guy who was a full-time youth pastor that they were going to cut his pay by, th by 70%. So he's only going to get 30% of what he was getting paid, but they wanted him to stay on full-time. They were going to let him have a few less hours, but they still needed him six days a week that he was going to be fulfilling the pulpit, all these different things. And he said, you know, I was, I was willing to do it because I said this is what the church needs to be done. And he said, after about two weeks of, of this, after the pastor had left, he said, I had to go make some copies in the copy room. I went to go grab my message. And he said, they had left the church finances there. And he said, so I grabbed him, I picked him up and I looked and to my amazement, he said that the, the church was, was, was flourishing financially. And not only that, he said there were people with, uh, that worked at the church part-time and had full-time jobs everywhere else that were actually making more money than him. And they wanted him to be there more and pay him less. And so that is taking advantage of someone. There was another situation that I read about. And... It actually didn't affect the woman who actually worked for the church because, you know, a lot of times people who have the injustice done on them, they actually take it better than people that are closer to them. That's kind of how I am. You can, you can do something to me, but if you do something to my friend or you do something to my family, that makes me more mad than you doing it to me. I'll kind of take it. But there was this young man and he served God his whole life and, and had grown up in the church and loved the church. And his mother was the church secretary and she came down with cancer and so instead of supporting her and helping her through, she'd been the church secretary for like 20 or 30 years. They fired her and took her insurance away. That man became an atheist and eventually 
killed himself, committed suicide. Now, I know everybody is responsible for their own decisions, but I, don't, I have a feeling that that board or the people responsible for doing that are probably going to have to answer for God too, for that young man's life. So abuse can come in different ways. It doesn't just have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't just have to be emotionally. It can be socially and all these different abuses. And, and, and I've suffered my fair share. I mean, right down to, to just the enemy using somebody to just say something silly that they didn't mean. They just got so familiar with you that they just will say whatever they want to to you. Remember years and years ago. Now, granted, it was, a, it was not a good look. It was not a good situation. But I decided that I would look cooler as a fat guy with long hair. It's never the case. And I was growing my hair. And I remember somebody walked up to me and goes, what is going on here? What is all this? Well, that hurt my feelings. So, I believe that the enemy works overtime to divide and pry away believers from the church by bringing in offense that leads to an excuse and false accusations of abuse to justify leaving the church and could eventually lead to leaving the faith in Christ altogether. I believe that this offense comes from my next point, and that is unmet, assumed, unspoken expectations that lead to offense. Can I say that again? So you do have true abuse, right? You do have true abuse, but then you also have people just looking for an excuse. And most of the time, it comes from an offense. And most of the time that offense comes because someone did not meet an assumed unspoken expectation of yours. Now, some of you may not understand how this works in the church, but I guarantee you understand how it works in a marriage. When I do marriage counseling for people who are getting married, one of the main things I talk about is do not assume that the person you are marrying is gonna magically morph into this unspoken person that you have thought they would be one day. They are 100% who they are. And if you think, if I marry them, I can change them into this, you are drastically wrong. If that person needs changing from a heart issue or something like that, then that person needs Jesus, not your manipulation. So just like in a marriage, most frictions lead to arguments and all sorts of issues mostly stem from unmet, assumed, unspoken expectations on your partner. People will get their feelings hurt because you do something they didn't like or you don't do something they expected you to do because that's what they expected you to do, but they didn't tell you they expected you to do that. It's unmet, assumed, unspoken expectation, and it will lead to offense every single time. I met with a guy on a Sunday right before I was supposed to preach. And I won't tell the whole story. But long story short was, 
he was deeply offended at me to the point where in my office, right before I'm supposed to go preach, he was literally cussing me out. And there was a part of me who had already worked up a little mini-sermon on how sorry he was as a church member. Because although he had some unmet, assumed expectations on me, I had some on him. And I had witnessed how little contribution that he was actually making to the body and how much friction he was stirring up. So he didn't know it, and he still doesn't know it to this day. But he almost got one from me. And I'm very quick with my mind, and I'm very quick with my tongue, and if I'm not careful, I will cut you deep. And I have to make sure I don't, because that's not love. And I was about to, I was on the verge, when, when, when the last cuss word come out of his mouth, I, I just stood up and got about two inches closer to his face. And when I did, the Holy Spirit said, this is a love test. When he said that, I backed down and I literally had the most peace I've ever had come on my life. I sat down on the couch, I crossed my legs and I said, called him my name and I said, I love you and I love your wife and I love your kids. You guys are a great family. I just don't understand why you're so mad at me. What, I, help me explain, I mean, help me understand why are you so upset? And he literally began to list some of the most crazy things that he was mad about. One of them, he says, I can't stand the fact that you make us stand up more than 20 minutes during praise and worship. I said, it's not a command. Yeah, I say, hey, everybody stand up. But, I mean, you can sit down anytime you want to sit down. And so that wasn't even the worst one. It was just one after another, about 10 things. And I saw this look come over his face after he got about nine or ten things out. He, he, he stops and he looks at me. He says, even now, as I hear myself telling you why I'm mad at you, I realize this is stupid while I'm mad about these things. But I can't help it. I'm still mad about it. And I said, well, I said, have you ever considered that maybe you're just mad? And I told him, I said, you know, I could get you to write on a piece of paper everything that you want me to do and everything you don't want me to do. And I could follow that instruction manual to a T. But two things are going to happen. One, I'm not following the Holy Spirit or the Lord on the direction of this church anymore. I'm following your direction. And two, probably the thing that will show up the most, there'll be people just like you that don't like the way you want it done. And I'll be right back in here. So I said, if I'm going to follow anybody and I'm going to make mistakes... I'd rather be my mistakes and not your mistakes. And I love you and I want you to be a part of this church. I want your family to be a part of this church. But it doesn't seem like to me you're going to allow me to be your pastor. And I want you to be pastored. And to that response, he says, oh, I'm pastored. I pastor myself. And I went, Ooh, that's the problem. <laughs> Under my breath, I didn't say it out loud. And I just told him, I said, well, I said, I understand that line of thinking. I said, but I, I would really like to see you. Find somebody that you allow to speak into your life. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to say that, that, that me and that man, you know, he, he reconciled his differences and, and he stayed and became a happy member of the church. But you know what? He didn't. He didn't. He left. 
And um, I'm, I'm sure their family's doing good. But I, but I told him, I said, I said, here's the thing. I said, I want you to know that when you walk out of here, and I, and I know I haven't, I, haven't, um, I haven't gone back on my commitment to that by telling the story this morning. But I told him, I said, I'll, I'll never say anything bad about you. I'll never tell anybody in this town or anything, your name or, or bad about you or anything like that. I said, I won't speak bad about you. I said, because I know that God probably does not care about any of these issues that we argued on today. He doesn't care. I said, but what he really deeply does care about is whether or not me or you love each other. And before he left, I told him again, I love you. And he said, well, I love you and I won't talk about you either. And we left. Now, to my knowledge, he never did. Sometimes that's the best you can, you can do. But that offense, as far as I know, they didn't leave the faith, so I think it all worked out good. But what I'm saying is a lot of times it don't even end up that good. Most of the time, people get something in their crawl and they, 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 they don't like something and then and it, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the Bible or anything like that. It's just a pet peeve. And, and, and to my knowledge, we don't have that stuff going on here. I'm, I'm super thankful that nobody nitpicks me and gives me the ability to pastor because I do make mistakes and I, I know, I'm sure I haven't done everything the way you all would like it done. There's many people because we come from many walks of life, many different churches that you guys have got the way you feel like your pastor should dress. You've got the way you feel like your pastor should do what he should do with his time. You have, you have the way you think your, your pastor ought to blah, 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 blah. And that's all, that's all good and fine, but, but there are sometimes these, these assumed expectations that if we're not careful, we'll put them on people and we're just expecting them to get it one day. And the more that person doesn't get it, the madder we become and the more offense gets in our life. And then we just end up using that as an excuse to leave that church. I guarantee you, if, if you have somebody in your life that way that just offended you and offended you and offended you, if you can't truly go back and write down on a piece of paper, that's why I asked him, what have I done to you? Tell me what I've done. Because if I truly have done something to you, I want to make that right today. If somebody has deeply offended you and it's just something that has just come up and come up and come up, Write down on a piece of paper exactly, not hypothetically what you thought they were doing. Write down what they've done to you. And here's the, the biggest part to that. After you've written down what they've done to you, forgive them. Because it's not holding them back, it's holding you back. And it's going to create a rift in you, and it could possibly pry you out of the church. Now, if God's calling you to a different church, that's one thing. But if you are looking for a reason or an excuse and you're making up things, I had one person tell me that I know for a fact I could see it happening. They were making up, they were making up things about how bad people had treated them. And when it was all said and done and they were free from those people, they literally confessed, I think most of the things that I thought were happening to me, I made them up. That's the enemy at work. If that's happening in your life, get on top of that. Because that is not abuse. It's abuse, but it's abuse by the enemy, not a person. Am I making any kind of sense? I'm talking about, gosh, I'm already over time. 
I'm so sorry. I didn't even get to what I really, a lot of the stuff I wanted to get to. So we'll just make this a part two. I think, I think we can close here. Um, next week, I want to talk about owning up to real hypocrisies that we need to own up to to restore a generation. Because I'm not in this place to say that there's not legitimate concerns from people who have used some excuses maybe to say, well, I don't want to be a part of people that would do A, B, or C. And here's the thing. They may be coming from a wrong motive, but if, if we're participating in that, how do you know? It doesn't matter who points it out. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's not conducive to a healthy atmosphere where people can grow in Christ, we need to correct that. Amen? Not pet peeves. Not trying to find a church that just does everything perfect the way you like it because you're going to be looking for a long time. But to be able to, to, to go into a place and go, you know what? I may not have created this mess, but I, as a man or a woman of God, am going to commit to cleaning it up. I might not have created this atmosphere, but I'm going to make sure that the next person that comes in here that needs Jesus, that's what they experience. They don't experience any kind of judgment. They don't experience any kind of, um, you know, anything like that. They're going to experience the absolute love of God, the presence of God, the peace of God. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us today. We hope that this podcast blessed you. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, all of our contact information or come see us, uh, all of our location information is on our website, www.woftx.com. We hope to see you soon.